0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here. Um, And I have music during the background of my sermon today (laughs) to keep you engaged. I was a little intimidated when J.G. said, you know, this is a sermon that everybody knows about, the sermon that Jesus gave. And so I feel like in my mind and heart, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm going to give your sermon now. I'm like the pitcher with a catcher. And I'm like throwing stuff out, and he's probably like, "Mm -mm, don't throw that one, you know, that kind of a thing. So um, I love that song that we sang before J.G. got up here for our community, and uh, there's a line in it that says, he has no rival, he has no equal, so who am I? Jesus is the one. And I pray that whether you are near or far to God this morning, that he might speak to your hearts, because this is his message. This is his word. Uh, let me just say a quick word of prayer. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of this heart and mind be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, it's summertime, and sometimes in the summer I like to do a little interactive church, kind of get you involved a little bit. And so even if you're new here, you're, you're welcome to play. Um, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I ask this question. If you want to do that, you don't have to. Uh, but it's a simple question. It's a, a question that uh, maybe you've been asked before, so it's not intimidating. Uh, Wait till I finish a couple of qualifiers, but have you ever run out of gas? Now, it could be on a boat. It could be, you know, jet ski or a scooter or a motorcycle, uh, but most likely a car. Have you ever run out of gas? Would you raise your hand if you've ever run out of gas? Oh, look at all my people. I love it. Great to see you this morning. So fun. Uh, I consider myself part of the Not Filled Fellowship. We have some people on our worship team that uh, will take pictures when the the little recorder in the car says, zero miles left, like, look, I'm part of the Not Filled Fellowship. We love it. So I run out of gas at least once on Patterson Avenue and twice on the New Jersey Turnpike. (laughs) I'm not proud of that. (laughs) And you know how that would feel. A lot of people were saying, you're number one, but they were not using that finger. Once, uh, once I made it to a safer place, just, just ran out of gas right on the exit ramp, and the other time I had to pull off on the shoulder with two students from our Hope Student Ministry that I was driving to Maine. They had just had a very difficult time in their life just to get away for a retreat, and they thought it was really funny. <laughs> I thought I was going to lose my job. So one of them took out their longboard from the back of the Suburban we were driving, and they started to skate up the shoulder of the road to the nearest gas station. Don't you love these stories? (laughs) Don't you love that David Dwight is a founding pastor of Hope Church and we have all survived? Don't you just love that? How many of us this morning have been in a desperate place? How many of us have tried to pull up something from a dry well? I know earlier in the week I was like that. Lord, give me something. And you feel like you're pulling it up from a dry well. Oswald Chambers, the devotional writer who wrote my utmost for his highest, said this. The knowledge of our own poverty is what brings us back to the proper place where Jesus Christ accomplishes his work. The knowledge of our own poverty is what brings us to the proper place where Jesus Christ accomplishes his work. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verses 1 through 6. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew records this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and he began to teach them, and he began to teach us. The Sermon on the Mount is meant for you this morning. It's meant for you and me, for those cowering in the corner, or maybe in a secret place, maybe cowering in some place in their heart, wondering if God could ever meet them again. The Sermon on the Mount is Psalm 12, come alive. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. The Sermon on the Mount clears the decks. You don't have to believe, but it's what Jesus believes. You may be new in faith or are walking in this road of faith. You don't have to believe it, but this is what Jesus believes and it moves us from the shallow waters of our culture into the deeper places of God's kingdom, full of grace and full of truth. The Bible says, So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil Becomes a prey. The sermon gives us hope when truth is stumbled in our streets. The sermon gathers us from the beaches and the rivers. The sermon gathers us together from the mountains and the backyard swimming pools this summer. The sermon meets us in the hospital room and looks to hope when our love has grown cold to others or even sometimes in our marriages. The sermon gathers us in one place with breathtaking teaching and says God's kingdom is not of this world and there's something worth climbing this mountain for to hear the teaching of Jesus Christ. The sermon begins with the grace and mercy of our God and reminds us that there is a better way, that there is a light that shines in the darkness of our life. And the sermon is not always easy. Jesus talks about desperate measures to make his point when temptation is leading us down the dark path again and giving birth to sin. It's here in the darkness that we question our worth and we wonder if God is finally growing tired of us. The sermon tells us to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And just when we feel like that is the final nail in the coffin of our life, Jesus rises from the dead. And we can say, for I have also been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Jesus is my perfection. Not me. He is my righteousness. This sermon is for the plumber and the painter, and the president. It's for the desperate and for the one giving up. Jesus has heard our cries. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is the sermon. It's found in Matthew's chapters five through seven. And never forget whose sermon this is. Jesus is looking at us. Jesus is looking at you. As he speaks these words. He is not looking at us with disappointed or uh, pointed finger. But with a heart of compassion and love. And Jesus is one who speaks with authority because he knows us. We are created in the image of God. And Jesus has a secret within him that he is about to share from his Father, and it stirs something in us. Maybe there is a better way. This is Jesus speaking, he's not our accuser, he's our advocate blessed are the poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are you who are pulling out of a dry well blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness for you will be filled. So in the first four chapters of Matthew, Jesus has been introduced to us through his genealogy, the history of where Jesus came from. He was baptized. He has chosen his disciples. He began his healing ministry. Matthew was telling us who Jesus is, and now Jesus is telling us how to live. But the sermon doesn't start with commands. It doesn't start with instructions. It begins with mercy and grace. D.A. Carson, a scholar in residence at Fuller Seminary in California, is coming to the end of his life. He's a man who deeply loves Jesus and wrote a meaningful commentary on Matthew. David Dwight, our senior pastor, considers him a friend, and he was planning to visit him this week. D.A. Carson said this, The Beatitudes must first be heard as grace or they will not be heard at all. As I have read the Beatitudes over and over again, they have washed over me with deep meaning and beauty. This past week, I spent some time with dear people in our community who have children in the hospital There is no more vulnerable place or desperate prayers than when our children are in need of healing. In fact, as I've been praying for these children and families, I've often found myself incorporating two of the Beatitudes in prayer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Praying the Beatitudes feels like looking into the eyes of Jesus and bringing the little children unto Him. D.A. Carson says there's two things to keep in mind when teaching the first four Beatitudes. And the first is this the word blessing can be translated as happy. If you've been around church work for a while, you may have heard that. Yet, yeah, blessing can literally mean happy from the Greek language. But that could feel too superficial for some people. Happy are you. If we simply say blessed, sometimes that can come across as too spiritual, especially for those on the road, on the road for journeys of faith. So, blessing most compactly means this. I am with you. I am on your side. If you are poor in spirit this morning, if you are mourning, blessing means I am with you, I am on your side. How powerful is that? The second comment from Carson says, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, should be remembered when the Sermon on the Mount begins to get hard for us in chapters 6 and 7. Every command in the Sermon on the Mount, Carson says, taken seriously, drives us back into the valley of the first beatitude and its life Giving springs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Said another way, blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed when you can't get it right. The beatitudes are first for people in bad situations, not for people with good attitudes. The people gathered around Jesus, some of the people gathered here this morning are not necessarily in good situations. Jesus blessed blessed people not because of their virtues but because of their inadequacies and their imperfections. I think all of us will find ourselves at the bottom once in a while. And the Beatitudes aren't good advice. They are Jesus with you in the deepest place of sorrow or your greatest place of need. The Beatitudes are Jesus on your side. So last week I had the opportunity to meet with Paul Tribble, the former United States senator and former president of Christopher Newport University. Paul told me a story of Richard Halverson, who was a former chaplain of the U.S. Senate and a pastor to me. He is the one that always said, you go nowhere by accident. So he was chaplain of the United States Senate when Paul Tribble was there. And he would often meet with several senators and congressmen in a Bible study. And one morning in a breakfast, he told them this. This is the story Paul told me. You senators have to think of yourself as spiritual zeros. If you have zeros and spread them out forever, what do you have? All you have is zeros. But if you put a one in front of them, then you've got something you've got a ten you've got ten thousand you've got ten million then dr halverson paused for a moment sort of a pregnant pause in order to capture their attention and he said jesus christ is that one stay near to jesus he is the one in front of your zero that will change everything d.a carson says the first four beatitudes do not describe Christians, the people coming into this mountaintop did not really know who Jesus was. All they knew that they were climbing a mountain looking for hope from a rabbi that could bring them healing. Carson says the Beatitudes of Jesus are as wide as this world. They are as wide and as deep as the love of Jesus Christ. They're for all of us. Jesus is the one in front of our zero that changes everything. So here are the first four Beatitudes. There is power and there is simplicity. I think there is some gold under this ground. Now, this is not now a four-point sermon. I'll try to be brief as I speak of these things. But these are the first four Beatitudes that we've just read. You've heard it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the ones, Jesus is saying, that can't get it perfect. The first beatitude is the beatitude that we come back to when we just can't seem to get it right. When we read later in the sermon, be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. Or, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Our only response can be God. Have mercy on me. And that is exactly what Jesus does. When we can't get it all together, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the beatitude of the thief on the cross. Blessed are the poor in spirit is a life-giving spring when you can't get it right. And then blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the brokenhearted, for they will be comforted. I don't know if you know this or not, but in deep sadness, human beings are in God's hands more than in any other time. And this comfort doesn't come after the deep sadness is gone. You know what? I'm done with that. Boy, I was blessed I got through it. It's the presence of Jesus in the sadness blessed are you who mourn I am with you I am on your side even in the sadness Jesus is the one in front of our zero that changes everything and then he says blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are the little people blessed are the ones who feel unseen they will inherit the earth Lesser to those who feel powerless in your jobs, in your workplace, in your school, or even sometimes in your relationship. When leading student ministry, I often would say to the volunteers, hey, look in the corners. Look for the kids in the corners. That's where Jesus would be. He finds the lost sheep. If you were me this morning, If things feel out of your control, look to Jesus. In his unjust trial and crucifixion, Jesus said very little because he knew his father would have the very last word. Blessed are the meek. Jesus is actually our model for meekness. Here's a striking aside here. Do you hear what he said? Remember the first commandment? Blessed, or first uh, beatitude, blessing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are the meek, for they will do what? They will inherit the earth. So a critic or an atheist might say, I don't even believe in all this stuff in the heavens and all that and God. Go ahead, you get your heaven. The rich and the powerful, we will inherit the earth. But that's not how the story ends. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the new earth and the new heaven. Jesus is the one in front of the zero that changes everything. I don't know about you. Some are sitting around you that probably feel in a lonely place, in an empty place, pulling up from a dry well, maybe even in a desperate place this morning. Some have been running out of gas. How many of us wonder if the kingdom of the world is all the kingdom there is? To you, to you, unsure about the future and the contentiousness that's going to come with elections, this is not all there is. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger for something more. Jesus is on our side. I was sitting on uh, my front porch this past Friday, and I was looking at a picture of little Libby Grace. She is one of Hope's miracle children. She was only supposed to live for a few days. But Libby is getting ready to celebrate her first birthday in October. I, in fact, was in the hospital the evening that she was born to do a baptism and then to do a memorial service but now she's getting ready to celebrate her first birthday. This past week, she had open-heart surgery to repair a little hole in her heart. She was supposed to be recovering for two weeks, but she was sent sent home from the hospital in three days. I saw a little picture of Libby Grace on Thursday in her own home, holding a book with a smile on her face. I hunger for more. But when I see what God is doing right in the middle of the heart for little Libby and my other young friend, Annie, who also had brain surgery this week, tears filled my eyes. Not because I was sad, but more honestly, I just began to cry on that front porch because I was overwhelmed. I was hopeful. I was filled. Not because everything is resolved and everything may not be resolved in your life, and this may not be your story. It's not blessing for us because everything is all better now. It's blessing for us because Jesus is by our side. Between services, between 8 and 9.30, I try to take a little time on of my office to be quiet, and I opened up this Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision, and I read this line in the prayer. In him, thy grace has almost outgraced itself. In him, thy love to rebels has reached its new height. We are spiritual zeros in need of God's mercy and grace, but Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one thing in front of our need that changes everything. This is our summer series called The Sermon. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, where they will be filled let's pray so father it's it strikes us it strikes me lord that um, there are those this morning pulling up from a dry well and lord you gather people around you and you offer grace and you offer truth and you offer new life And so, Father, I pray this morning that if people have come in here even just for the first time or are struggling with something right now, Lord, that they might turn to you, that they might in their mind look into your eyes of compassion and come to you. Father, there are those who have been on the outside just checking it all out. But, Lord, I pray that they might take a step of faith even this morning to say, Jesus Christ, Holy One, Would you fill me? Would you come into my life? Lord, I'm carrying around shame or sin, and I need your forgiveness. So, Lord, we pray that you would be living and active in this place and in the hearts of people. For blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.